Hey, this is Double J, Jeff Jarrett, WWE Hall of Famer, and you're listening to the My One Two Three Cents Podcast. It's my personality to be jittery. It's part of my charm. Wrestling fans, are you ready? It's time for my one, two, three cents of the podcast on the Jittery Monkey Podcasting Network. Give me the hell yeah! Now, here's your host. The man is also a very long, dear, personal friend of mine. The guy have a name? Yes, he has a name. Kevin Huntsberger. Woo! If you've dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler, it's time to make that dream a reality. The Stride Pro Wrestling Training Academy is now enrolling new students. Classes meet on Tuesdays and Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. Be sure to check out the Stride Pro Wrestling Facebook page at facebook.com slash stridepro-wrestling and get enrolled now. Hey friends, welcome to episode 444 of the My 123Cents podcast. And this week, uh, doing something very special and, and remembering one of the all-time greats in the world of professional wrestling, someone that, uh, for his wrestling career, kind of predates my knowledge of him, you know, watching him in person, but uh, do have many great memories of superstar Billy Graham. But joining me is Ryan Bowman, who has been on the show before. And Ryan, it, you know, we were talking as we were getting ready to start recording here, and lots going on with you. Why don't you remind our listeners who uh, who you are and what you've been up to lately? Because you've got uh, quite the plate going on. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I, I juggle a whole lot at one time and, and try not to drop anything. Yeah. Uh, I am Right now, I'm, I'm a freelance sports writer. I do sports and pro wrestling all over the internet, but mostly with uh, Bounding into Sports and um, at PWmania.com. I do a weekend column there now. Um, my book is dropping. Uh, <laughs> Pop music and peanut butter um, <laughs> will be coming out um, uh, here very soon. We're hoping like within the next week. I just got the proof, so I don't have oh, an cool. official date, but I think by the first week of June it'll be out, and I'll have the link up online. So I'm kind of nervous about that, as you can tell. I bubbled yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, no, you're good. Book. I'm like, oh, no. Uh, but, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm so, yeah, I do have a lot of oars in the water, and, of course, I have pinned media and marketing, which works with – pro wrestlers and organizations as far as just promoting them um i'm kind of a third party consultant so Mm -hmm. to speak so uh, jack of all trades master of none is what the resume says and i heard you say episode 444 congratulations oh thank you that is amazing thank you i've been around for a while but i didn't realize it had been that long yeah it's it's uh it started off uh, launched in december of 2014 and i've gone every week since then so um Talk Ironically, to me. my high school baseball number was number four, and I wore forty-four in basketball. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, well, so it's yeah, four forty-four. That's perfect. This was destiny well, then. Absolutely. That's that's crazy. Talk to me. I'm, I'm intrigued that we were coming together because of the death of, of a great one. But um, you know, it's always good to talk to you about mm-hmm. any wrestling topic. Absolutely, and I, and I don't know that uh, peanut butter and pop music is that what you said the book's called? It's, it's pop music pop, and peanut butter. Pop music and peanut butter. I'm assuming that's not a wrestling uh, themed book, no. but I'm intrigued. Tell me a little bit more about that. 
It's I, I used to write a syndicated column. I, I might have fumbled. I did probably say the title backwards. I'm so nervous about it, Kevin. Because <laughs> I, I'm nervous not because uh, I'm worried about making a lot of money or selling a lot of copies. I just hope people liked it. Yeah. I just want them to enjoy it because it's really a step away from sports, wrestling. Um, I used to write a, a syndicated weekly column that was just humor and observation, you know, life observations, basically. Just I always say the little silly things we have in common. Uh-huh. That we, we joke and laugh about sometimes, but rarely really discuss. And, and I tried to kind of lampoon those things in, in various columns over the years. And I, and I took a collection of those and actually quite a few that I never even released and reworked a lot of that stuff and put them into just a, the first work I said that I wanted to, um, just kind of come out with something completely different than what I've known, I've been known for. And, and I think anyone who knows me personally knows my, my uh, sense of humor and, and I think they'll get the book. I, I hope the people who don't actually, uh, like it and read it and enjoy it and, um, you know, just pass along, you know, whatever the good stories are that they can take out of it. I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards, uh, I believe in the power of positivity. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. I like it. I, and you know, you, uh, as we've talked before, you know, you have written for so many different uh, publications and you have talked to so many greats uh, in the ring, out of the ring and, and, and beyond that you have quite a collection and quite a story yourself. Um, did you ever have the opportunity to, you know, I think you and I are pretty close to the same age. So, um, but you know, superstar Billy Graham, even after he retired, was still a pretty active uh, person in the world of wrestling. People still talked about him, and he, you know, had legends deals and this, that, and the other. Did you ever have the opportunity to interview or meet Superstar? I did not, and I was always sort of intrigued by him because he was kind of an enigma mm-hmm. as a person. He was, um, you know, even down to his relationship with WWE. He was kind of in and out, yeah. hot and cold with them over the years for so long. And you would think um, it would have been one of those things where um, he was sort of grandfathered into everything. Yeah. There was a legacy there. And there were some things said, and particularly, you know, over steroids and, and different allegations over the years where Billy would share his opinion that maybe rubbed Vince the wrong way, or maybe Vince would do things that rubbed um, superstar the wrong way and and they they kind of had a contentious relationship but i think overall at the end of the day you know and anybody as you said i was born in the 70s but not or not early enough to really remember much of his heyday yeah um i knew him more as a legend and i think that legend status and the affection that vince senior had for him he always knew he had a home, no matter how much he and Vince might uh, ruffle each other's feathers. Vince Jr. might ruffle each other's feathers. He was still a WWE guy forever, and and he always will be, even in death. He he's, yeah. He'll always be a superstar. And we're going to get to his influence and all of that. I've got a lot of things I want to kind of pick your brain about with him, but I'm going back to, you know, I started watching wrestling, like became a fan um, Sometime in 1983, I remember really the the thing that my dad and brother um, were watching it for years before this, but I never really it never really clicked or resonated with me until December of '82 when Ric Flair and Kerry Von Erich were wrestling in that cage match that kind of launched the Freebird feud. That's world class is really what hooked me, and then of course WWF, larger than life, and flipping through the channels. We you know we were new to cable. And, you know, Jimmy Snuka and Don Morocco uh, 
confrontation is the other thing I attribute to my fandom. So Superstar had already lost the championship. He was gone. I remember then when I'm buying the magazines, I see him with the uh, much different look. And if I would have just gone off of what my first memory of him was, I wouldn't have believed that he was such an influential part of the business because, you know, he was wearing the, the karate pants and he had a black or brown mustache and the bald head. Um, then it was sometime in 87 when he comes back to the WWF and he's got the uh, the goatee that's bleached and he's wearing earrings and he's got the tie-dyed tights and he briefly wrestles and he's only 44 years old at this point um he gets injured you know he's got bad hips and whatnot the storyline i think was the one-man gang and butch reed put him out um and ironically enough if if wikipedia is correct his last match was in st louis against butch reed the natural butch reed not hacksaw of course but um you know, he stuck around for a bit and, and managed Don Morocco and did some color commentary, but he was supposed to be a part of that first Survivor Series team with, with Hulk Hogan. Um, it, you know, I always found it interesting as I then started learning more about him, the parallels with him and Hulk Hogan, that he was, you know, he was only 44 at the time. And if you put that in perspective, guys like Bobby Lashley and AJ Styles and Dolph Ziggler, who are still running very strong and, and you know, at the top of the card... But Billy Graham, I feel like as he came back, was was kind of just there. And, and I think, you know, his body had taken, you know, the, the matches had taken a toll on his body. So obviously he couldn't be presented the same way that we see guys presented today. But I find that a lot with today's superstars versus the guys that were wrestling when we were growing up. They seem, you know, at 44, they seemed old. But now that seems like it's just really the, the start of their, or not really the start of, but it's really the prime of their careers. Well, you know, you just mentioned, I, I just wrote the column yesterday about AJ, mm-hmm. and I believe 44 or maybe 45 yeah. is how old he And look at him yeah. and how he moves in comparison to Superstar in 87 or 86, I guess, mid, mid to late, you know, that yeah. after 85 era when he came back. And you're right, the hips were gone. He had been obviously carrying way too much weight for his frame. I mean, that, that catches up. When you're young, you can carry an extra 30 pounds eventually your spine decides to to tap out you know to that yeah and and you could see it with him um you're you're right though i like you same era and you know it's funny when you mentioned the von erics the the thing that got me as a kid and and it was around that same time 83 84 um and they were in the middle of the freebird feud i don't remember the cage match with flair with them slamming the head on or the the door on carrie's head but I remember seeing Kerry Von Erich and as a kid thinking, God, I want to look like that when I grow yeah. up because he looked like a god. Yeah. I and mean, he looked like he was carved out of granite thinking, you know, that's that was the Charles Atlas on the back of the comic book guy. You know, the, the after picture, you know, after he'd gotten the sand kicked in his face and lifted weights, that was him. You yeah. Know? yeah. He was, that was in real life. And my my brother, I remember him saying, yeah, but he's nothing like superstar Billy Graham was. Oh, wow. And that was the first time I ever remembered hearing. I thought Billy Graham was the preacher. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then I saw him and just the enormity and the size and the look. It was like it was like a comic book character. Yeah. You know, and then to see him, as you mentioned later, at, at just in his mid 40s, he was a broken down old man. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I'll be 48 next month and I could do 
cartwheels around him. Yeah. At the, and this is a guy who was a world-class athlete. This was a guy who trained with Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You know, and to see that, and, and maybe in a lot of ways, you never want to say this about somebody in death, but in a lot of ways, part of his legacy will be that he's a cautionary tale. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of his, you know, the issues with his health obviously arose from that. And and we've seen that story, you know, unfold time and time again. Um, you know, these guys, like you said, when you're young, you can you can get away with that. But then as, as they grow older, you know, it, it does become that cautionary tale. And, and the the influence that he had on so many and and there were there were names that were coming out after his death that that kind of surprised me that you know they talked about his influence but i guess you can be influenced by more than just uh the look of someone you know the obvious ones of of Jesse Ventura and Hulk Hogan and and uh big papa pump Scott Steiner but you know the way he talked and and the way he uh, conducted himself in the ring. I, and I went back last night before recording this and watched, you know, back in the day, you would have NWA guys wrestle WWF guys. Uh, Dusty Rhodes came to New York and, and wrestled several times against Billy Graham. And I watched the Texas, they called it a Texas death match at Madison Square Garden. But, um, you know, going back and watching that, you know, could you ever imagine uh, getting um, uh, an MJF versus Roman Reigns match, right? You know, in, the, in this day and age, I mean, obviously that would never happen. But the fact that back then, you know, Harley Race and, and Billy Graham wrestled when Harley was the NWA Heavyweight Champion, it's just incredible, to, incredible to me the way the territories back then kind of worked together. And I know that you know we're in a, a new era and a new day and age, but. I always found that aspect of it uh, very, uh, very interesting as well. That guys like yeah, superstars. A lot of that had to do with Eddie Graham too. That's oh, the really? influence of Eddie Graham oh, okay. being shown there, the Florida promoter. Because uh-huh. I mean, if it's not for him, there's no superstar Graham. There's no. I mean, there's no Dusty Rhodes. There's no working relationship with he and Vince Senior were so close that they essentially were almost business partners in, in many ways. So that helped a lot too, but you're right. I mean, it was a different era. And, and because of that, I think because it was so, I hate to use this term because it's not, you know, in, in other aspects, it wouldn't be correct. But in wrestling at that point with the territories, it was very separate, but equal. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the guys were okay with you have your slice of the pie over there and I'll be down here having my slice of Florida and the Von Eriks will have their part of Texas and Paul Bosch will have his part of Texas because Texas is big enough for both of us. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not like that anymore, you know? And, and because of that, I think the guys aren't as big as stars because there is no mystery to them anymore. To yeah. see Billy Graham come to town or to see Dusty Rhodes come to town once every five or six years is not the same as seeing Roman come three times a year. Or, or seeing matchups that can happen now because somebody can write in a big enough check. You know, in those days, matchups happened because they mattered or they need, they needed to. Now it's, it's mostly just a publicity stunt. And you know, nobody's really going to get out of it what they really want anyway. You yeah. Know? So, um, in an era of, of innocence, uh, superstar Billy Graham kind of transcended all of that because he, he was almost, Again, in that era, the idea of him was bigger than he was. The idea that he was coming to town 
was bigger than he was. The idea that he was going to face Dusty Rhodes. The match didn't matter. Yeah. He did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, uh, at that time, he's managed by the wizard or the grand wizard, um, which I think in in today's uh, era, the name wouldn't work. I think the gimmick would would probably still work. But he, uh, you know, when when you have a guy like that, because we saw it in the 80s, you know, it seemed like all the heels always had a mouthpiece. They had a manager. Um, But Billy Graham was able to talk and, and, you know, maybe didn't necessarily need that, but it almost became uh, uh, an accessory for the bad guys to to have someone in their corner or whatever. Do you think that was more of a uh, prop, so to speak? Or, you know, I know some of the wrestlers back in the day really did need that second uh, to handle their business affairs or to to handle their stuff uh, outside the ring, you know. I don't, I don't know if WWE back in those days had a lot of really great managers. They just had mm-hmm. a lot of old guys that hung around. Yeah. Like Arnold Skolan, I don't know what he really did. Yeah. Other than work backstage. You know, and I think the, the Wizards, Albano, I know he won a bunch of titles and he was a big character. But, I mean, to me, they didn't really, until Bobby at that era, yeah. and Jimmy Hart and those guys, they didn't really have a lot of what I would consider great, great managers in that era. And oh, Billy Graham never needed anybody to talk for him. As a matter of fact, and you talked about influence, his ability as a talker and an influence, it, go back and watch any Southern wrestling promo from the 80s. The cadence, the terminology, everything is Billy Graham. Every right down to the babies and the daddies and the jacks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end of every, that's right, baby. We're coming to your town, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> that's Billy Graham. Yeah. And it's Ricky Morton and Tommy Rich and Austin Idol, who's another guy. Oh yeah. With the Billy Graham clone, all those guys they were reciting Billy Graham. Heck, Dusty cribbed. From Billy Graham, yeah, you know, so and Dusty's one of the great promo guys of all time. So yeah, the body was an influence, but the persona, the larger than life character, it was. I mean, you you couldn't decide which was bigger, the personality or the, or the body. Yeah, that's that that's a great uh, way to look at it too. And you know, when, when he's when he's in there and he's he's able to cut those promos, and you know, he's he's talking so. And, and I don't know what changed, but it feels like, like I said, when, when he's then with Don Morocco and kind of managing him and doing commentary, I, I think that a lot of times we assume, and, and we saw it with guys like uh, Ted DiBiase and I think with Mr. Perfect to an extent and, and Rowdy Roddy Piper, you know, you've got these guys that are, that are cutting great promos, but then you put them in that environment where they now have to be a part of a team of, of doing color commentary and it doesn't translate as well. Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, you know, exceptions to that rule. But what do you think it was with superstar that didn't kind of translate going from being so great on the mic and cutting those iconic promos to then just kind of being part of a team that was maybe less than what we were hoping for. Because in his promos, nobody told him what to say. Mm hmm. And, and when you're on the mic, they you're for. I mean, when you're on commentary, I should say, 
you're forced to sell things. It's it's easier a lot of times for a lot of guys. It's the same thing as, as why some great baseball players don't become great managers. Mm-hmm. A lot of times for it's easy for a great talker to talk about themselves. It's not as easy for them to talk about somebody else. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's okay. It was easy for Billy to brag about himself. It was natural for him. That was his character. But when he went out and tried to be a cheerleader for the, the baby faces on commentary, it he sounded soft. It made him sound weak because it didn't sound like the superstar. You know, and I think you see that with the heels too, where when you have way too many heel commentaries, the commentary uh, people or commentators, if I can get the word out right, <laughs> um, that they overdo it. And it's because there's pressure on them to be the heel, be the good guy, be this, back the good guy, back the heel. And the the truth is the reason Bobby was so good at it and Jesse was so good at it is because they were just naturals. Yeah, They were just natural performers. If you told them to be the good guy, they could be the good guy. If you told them to be the bad guy, they were just great actors and great performers. They were just exceptional. Yeah. Not everybody is exceptional. And Billy, as great as he was as a bodybuilder and as great as he was as a promo guy, it just didn't translate because he wasn't used to pumping other people up as much as he was used to pumping up the superstar. Do you think when he came back um, to the WWF in in the late 80s, you know, they bring him in, obviously, as a face. But I, I feel like there are a handful of, of superstars, of, of wrestlers, probably more than a handful. But, you know, Hogan, I think, was was good at playing both sides, you know, with with the 80s, Hulkamania, and then, of course, with the NWO in, in the late 90s. Um, but with, with, with Billy Graham, you know, superstar Billy Graham, to me, was one of those guys that should have always been a heel and when he's in there as a as a baby face and feuding with butch reed and the one-man gang and and slick and greg valentine i i remember just kind of feeling like it was more than just the effects of 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 his aging body but it just it didn't feel like he was all in it and i don't know if, if he was trying to play a role that he didn't necessarily wasn't comfortable with because i think for most of his career, he was that heel. He was that uh, cocky, overconfident, you know, in there flexing and, and whatnot. And maybe that wouldn't have worked. But I feel like with Hulk Hogan still being there, you know, you had this, uh, sec- you know, this guy who influenced Hogan and is now almost playing second fiddle to him. Oh, yeah. And, and I almost think that was by design. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, you know, Hogan's not going to let anybody get over mm-hmm. him. And he would, he, there was no reason to, because he was, he was the company yeah. at that time. He was the banner, you know, of the company. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's kind of ironic when you were thinking, I was thinking to myself in an era of wrestlers, he was superstar was this over for being this huge flamboyant character. And then in an era of flamboyant characters, it's like he didn't fit anymore. Yeah. He wasn't, crazy enough or kooky enough for that for the late eight in the late seventies he got over for being obnoxiously weird or out there, you know. And let me let's put it like this and you and I really we were little kids so we had to wear what our parents dressed us in. But if you go back and look at what people were in the seventies, yeah. That was some weird stuff. Yeah. And what he wore was even weirder. So, you know, this guy was out there, man. You know, he was he was out, out there, like he used to say, among the stars in the Quasar, man. But then by the late 80s, with the, the Technicolor world that 
WWF had become at that time. He just wasn't, he was just another face, just another part of the machine. And, And I do think he kind of, was was not really his heart wasn't into it as much. He he almost looked like he was in third gear. Yeah, that whole thing too. So I, I hope that people, when they look back at his greatness, don't look at that time. As a matter of fact, it, it really to me, it, his superstar Graham, his era, his real time on top was not that long, and the rest yeah. of it was a lot of falling off and trying to come back and never really finding he never found 1977 again yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. i mean that that's and i mean i hate to say that again right. not again not to call him a, but again that by the 80s the steroids weren't enough the, the flamboyant attitude wasn't enough it just everybody followed in his footsteps and then they kind of lapped him yeah well, do, what do you think? Because, you know, we, we saw it with the Ultimate Warrior. We saw it with Bruno San Martino, um, who Superstar beat for the championship. And, and you know, we eventually saw it with Superstar Billy Graham. But I feel like with, with even with Billy, uh, it was it was even more of a contentious relationship because he was in and out so many different times. But, you know, there was that, that almost, uh, you know, these men are forbidden from from coming back, and I don't know how much influence Triple H had on it. I'm going to assume he he was influential in kind of extending that olive branch and mending those fences and getting Bruno uh, to the Hall of Fame, getting the Ultimate War, you know, getting Vince to that part that point of uh, welcoming welcoming them back into the fold. And I and I feel like because you know Triple H, I had forgotten Triple H is the one that inducted Superstar into the Hall of Fame, so. I, I almost think that Triple H, in in some respects, is is kind of this, uh, uh, you know, maybe seeing things more clearly and and not getting as emotionally in, involved in things to to convince Vince McMahon, and and maybe not, maybe Vince really truly wanted to mend those fences and do what was best for business, but I think without Triple H kind of being the force pushing that. I don't know that we ever get Billy Graham, Warrior, or or Bruno, for example, into the Hall of Fame, or at least not the way that they did. Well, I think, and yeah, Bruno was a, another case. I think you're right on both counts. I think Bruno and Graham were both products of Triple H. Because the one thing is, and pe- people, and I've taken shots at, at Triple H before. I've also been in, you know, conferences, you know, a news conference with Paul, and he's one of the most engaging people you know nice you know for an executive person with that kind of money you know he's he's pretty friendly you know i mean he's mm-hmm. pretty down to earth and and so he, he'll my perspective on him has changed a lot over the years i think he's went from being the spoiled brat punk guy to being a responsible adult and the one thing that you can say though about triple h is he is a student of the game and he respects the history and the posterity uh, that that goes into what WWE has. That company has a, a brilliant legacy, and he just wants to honor that and protect it because he's part of it. Yeah. So at some points, people do think, yes, is it for money? Yes. They have a Hall of Fame ceremony. Yes, it's to promote the brand. It's for money. You can say you can be as jaded about that as you want, but at the end of the day, 
this is a very history-making, not wrestling company, entertainment entity that deserves to be able to honor its former employees if it wants to. And in his mind, it wouldn't be right if two of the greatest ever weren't there Mm -hmm. because of Eddie BS. Yeah. I'll clean it up. (laughs) <laughs> and so, so at least if you're going to criticize his creative, you can criticize that he married Stephanie. You can say everything, you know, he's calculating, cunning, evil, you know, he's the devil incarnate, whatever. But in this case, he did something right mm-hmm. because superstar belongs in the hall of fame. Yeah. Bruno belongs in the hall of fame. Superstar belongs in any wrestling hall of fame anywhere in the world. Period. Yeah, absolutely. Because as much as I said, he may have had a short run as the guy and he may have had a short run in terms of on being on top or being the superstar that that he's going to be icon you know lionized as forever made an icon as that character really didn't have a long shelf life but the the tidal waves and the ripple effect that it had ever since it that'll live forever and let me let me ask you about that do you think that that's going to become you know I think that's his legacy is is all the influence he had during his career. But will we continue to see, you know, the next generation, you know, fans that are, you know, maybe not necessarily fans that are watching today, but guys who are wrestling that go back and and study the history and and look at it. And I know you have a better uh, idea of, of, of what some of these, uh, you know, young men and women who are coming through now are, are kind of going through with the articles and the interviews that you're doing. But do you see guys like Billy Graham and Dusty Rhodes, even though they're, they're, they've passed away and, and were, you know, three or four decades past when they were, you know, the, the, the prime of their careers, will we still see those influences or will, will, younger generations or newer generations start picking up on guys who are in there now who may have had a little bit of influence from from superstar or from dusty or from somebody that uh, is no longer with us well, well i mean i think i think anyone in any era if you if they've had success if you don't go back and and try to learn what made them successful that that's very foolish mm-hmm. if you're trying to be successful you're, you because you can learn elements of success from anyone whether they're exactly like you or nothing like you success, you know, (laughs) comes in many different forms. And there's no doubt about it, that if if a young wrestler, particularly one who wants to get over as that type of character, you know, you, you definitely want them to go back and watch superstar. But one thing I I think I've always said to any of the younger talents that, you know, it's okay to look, go back and look at those guys. I love Ric Flair. I grew up in the Ric Flair era and a Ric Flair promo was almost as good as a Ric Flair match. Yeah. Actually, sometimes better. Yeah. And and um and everything else. But I wouldn't tell a young kid to go out and be Ric Flair today. What I would say is, if you watch Superstar Billy Graham, go back and also study the time that he lived in. Mm-hmm. Get some historical perspective on yeah. why that character worked in 1976. And, and take elements of that and, tr- and, and, and I guess evolve that to today. You couldn't be him today. It would be ridiculous today to play that character today yeah. in 2023. Yeah. But you can take the, the aspects. You can take the overarching elements that made it great and apply it to what you do today. That's what the advice I would take 
anytime you see an iconic character like that, because there are reasons that it, it made a connection with people. That's what I would study. Why did it work? Not what he did, but, but how he did it and why it affected people the way it did, the psychology of it and everything behind it. Take away all the flowers and the ruffles and the muscles and everything else. What did he do that made people want to tune in every week? That and, and trust me, if you if you could name on a short list of guys in pro wrestling that you had to watch, if you saw them on the screen, that's one of them. Right. Yeah. Who's going to make me stop changing the channel and 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 catch my eye like that? And you know, you you put that very well as far as you know understanding the why of it and not just because it is easy. It would be easy to go get a pair of tie-dyed tights and, and, you know, grow your hair out and get some boas and, and, you know, kind of talk with that, that cadence. Um, but really understanding that. And I think that that gets lost a lot in, in, in everything, not just wrestling, but we, we just, it's easier to kind of, uh, you know, I think we probably see this in other aspects, but you know, it's that copy and paste mentality of, and not trying to be original or stand out or, or, or do that, um, uh, do the work, do the research, do find out what ticks and what works. And, um, you know, I, I think there are a few others out there now who are going to be the influencers of, of the next generation, uh, of wrestlers and, and, and even fans, you know, I think that, you know, obviously you and I are, are a little different in our fandom, but, because we have worked with with the business or worked with guys who are in the business. Um, but I think, you know, becoming that uh, creator, creating that content, you know, we were talking before we started recording about guys like Conrad Thompson. You know, he's someone that I look up to and and really respect and, and you know, wish that I had the acumen that he has. But instead of, you know, copying that formula or what that worked for him, you know, it's, it's come up and find and, and work and develop on something different. And I think, you know, wrestlers today need to do the same thing. you know, I, when I was doing stuff with stride, I would talk to guys and, and it was always not always, but there were several that always had this mentality of, I want to do a stone cold stunner, or I want to do, you know, it's like they didn't want to develop or, or figure out what they, they knew what, and I hate, again, I hate to say it this way, but they, they, they went for the low hanging fruit and, and didn't want to kind of become original or become creative in, in that aspect. And I know that doesn't work for everyone. So, but Billy Graham obviously was one of those that broke the mold when, when he started, because you didn't see guys like him. And, um, like you said, in the eighties, when he shows up there, there's several clones of him or guys that are just as flamboyant and just as out there as him. So he no longer kind of fit that mold anymore. So it, 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 be original, be yourself and, and understand why you're doing it, I guess, is kind of the bottom line. Yeah, there's a really great book out there. And again, I don't want to get too deep. I told you before I nerd out on stuff like this, <laughs> but as I watch promos and things like that, I, I, I was big into psychology. I almost became a psychologist instead of a writer. But uh, there's a book called The Reality of Perception out there and i think you can pick it up for like five bucks out on amazon or something but if you really if you read the book and it's really 
the the elements of success uh, and, and how you sell yourself. And essentially, I, as I've told a lot of the kids I work with, when you go out there and you have a microphone or you're on the camera and, and however long you have, whether you have 30 seconds or you have 10 minutes, it's a commercial for yourself. You're, you're advertising your brand. And as, since we're talking about superstar Billy Graham, he made it very clear what his brand was. Mm-hmm. And his brand was like nothing we had ever seen any, before. His brand was the Air Jordan logo. It is unmistakable. And that is where, going back to what you were talking about, we were talking about being innovative in our line of work in media and marketing and and covering, not only covering wrestling, but covering anything, you know, in, in any aspect of entertainment. Um, you are always looking to move forward and evolve because everybody can be what happened yesterday. It's about what happens tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and, and tomorrow starts with you figuring out what is your brand and how do I sell it? And how do I make it, most of all, unique? Yeah. And that's, that is, that's the trick. <laughs> that's the trick, unfortunately, you know, because it is so easy. And, and we are in, in a, and again, I'm going back to the same book, The Reality Perception tells us that a lot of times we'll copy things without even realizing it. Our, our subconsciously, our mind records things that we think, and that was cool. Yeah. And and we'll do it. And then we do it consciously as well. And before you know it, we're like a cookie cutter of a whole lot of other people. Yeah. And and so, you know, and you see that in wrestling a lot. And the one thing, and, and again, coming full circle, you look at a character like Graham, there, he, there's no mold. Yeah. There's no, he is the mold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have to break the mold. He's the mold. He's the first. He's the guy. He planted the flag and everybody else. And I mean, you're going down to the body guys, to the promo guys, to the bleach blonde beach guys. Mm-hmm. Everybody took a piece of that from him, you know, and, and some of them like Hulk Hogan had tremendous success. Others didn't. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you are that big of an original and you do brand yourself so creatively and so uniquely, you are going to get the copycats. Everybody else will then be a cookie cutter of you. Yeah. As we wrap up this week, uh, Ryan, who do you think, who do you see? And and, and this may be an a unfair or difficult question to answer because I really don't have an answer myself. But do you see anyone today? Um, who is, you know, standing out from the rest of the pack that, that may be that influencer type. And I'm not saying on the level of, of Billy Graham, but do you think that there are guys that, you know, because like you said, we go through, you know, these generations, these decades, and it's, it is kind of a cookie cutter kind of mentality a lot of the time, but is there anyone out there that is kind of blazing their own trail, so to speak? Oh God, I'm going to get murdered for saying this. (laughs) Logan Paul. Oh, wow. Logan That kid, I hated those kids. When My kids used to watch them on YouTube, and uh-huh. I thought they were the stupidest yeah. boys in the world. But to see, the, first of all, they both matured a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And they've learned how to become effective businessmen instead of just internet J.O.s. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, the kid has, he's got an appeal. Um, he's got, he's definitely got the moxie. I mean, he's, he's a really big fan of himself, which helps, you know, um, 
he's got that influence. He's got the mainstream. And you know what? Most of all, he's got the kids. And that's something that wrestling needs. What wrestling needs now, more than anything, the next big star is going to be the next Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. The next guy that leads. They need a Pied Piper. Somebody that's going to get people who are younger than us involved. Yeah, I'm almost 50, and I'm a young wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. For God's sakes, we need somebody. And maybe it's not him, but it's got to be somebody like him. Somebody who comes from their world into ours. Yeah. Well said. That, that's, 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 in my mind, nobody wants to hear that, and especially not guys our age or older. Right, they right. don't want to hear that. They want to hear that. Some fat beer bellied guy is going to bring old school back. That's not going to happen. Yeah. The Disney generation's all grown up and they want a hero now. Yeah. And, and, and if we don't give it to them, we're going to lose them. Love it. Ryan, as always, a pleasure talking to you. Uh, anything else you want to let our listeners know? Plug away if you uh, want to do that right now. Uh, just follow me on social media, Ryan K. Bowman on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Stop by my Facebook page. I think there's about it's about five thousand of me and my closest friends, and we have a good time there. Kevin's on there too. Yeah, and it's usually a lot of a lot of laughter, fun, and mirth. So come by and pay a visit, and and check out my book here when it comes out. I'm holding my hand right now, pop music and peanut butter, and it will be out first week of June on Amazon. And we'll have a link for that once uh, once it's up and ready, and we'll uh, share that out on all the my one two three cents and my social media as well. Be sure to check it out, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will talk again soon. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.